This episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, managing the business of your church so you can focus on the ministry. Find out how at auxilio.partners slash five points. You're listening to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast, where two church planners try to make one good point. My name is Reed, and I'm the intern pushing all the buttons. On the pod today, Hunter and I talk with Tom Ricks, a pastor in the St. Louis metro area. Tom is also the head of a church planning arm of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church denomination. Go ahead and buckle up, because this conversation is guaranteed to light your church planning fire or your money back. Let's get to it. Our guest this morning is Tom Ricks, pastor of Green Tree Presbyterian Church near St. Louis. And our host, John St. Martin, cannot join us today. He is probably up to his eyeballs in snow and his shovel is broke or his blower is broken down or he's asleep in bed because we're recording this a little bit earlier than normal. So Reed, the intern, is joining us. He's going to be asking questions and helping our audience to get to know Tom better this morning. And Tom, we're thrilled to have you on the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, gentlemen. It's good to, good to be with you. And I'm glad you and I aren't up to our eyeballs in snow. That's right. So, That's right. I'm well, watching rarely... the TV show Fargo right now, but I, I've been there one time. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't believe I'll be headed back. <laughs> <laughs> well, John's not here to defend himself, so we won't pick too hard on him. But uh, with John, I mean, Tom, without further ado, let's, yeah. let's jump in and let's, let's sure. learn about uh, Dr. Tom Ricks, pastor of Green Tree. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your upbringing and, and church life and, and your call to ministry. Sure. I uh, was raised in a home where my mom was a Christian and my dad was not. My father became a Christian later in life in his late 60s. Uh, and so, um, you know, you kind of had mixed messages, but, but mom was uh, very, very faithful. She actually was, the interesting tidbit, she was led to Christ by Edith Schaefer, Francis Schaefer's wife. And so you can imagine the impression that had on her early on in her, in her relationship with the Lord. So we were, I'm the youngest of three, we were in church every Sunday. Uh, we, dad made sure we went because it made mom happy. So I remember being about old enough to say, well, dad, why don't you go? And that was a real short conversation. Oh, uh, imagine. But, but uh, dad was a, a police officer, was a detective uh, for 27 years. Mom worked out of the home, uh, but she uh, made sure we knew the Bible. She, I, I remember as a young child uh, falling asleep. We lived in a ranch house and she would sit in the hallway between the kids' bedrooms. And as we fell asleep, she would read the Bible to us. And so I remember falling asleep to you know, David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den and Jesus walking on the water. And so my faith came to me very early. Uh, I remember being in a, in a Sunday school class or a children's church class where the old flannel graph, you guys are too young to remember flannel graph. And they put the, you know, the, the, the heart and then the black for sin and, and the cross. And I remember at a very early age, putting my faith in Christ, but I never, so I grew up in a, in a, um, what today is a PCA church. Before then, it was Reformed Presbyterian Church Evangelical Synod. That's that's going way back. Uh, so I grew up learning scripture from the very earliest of ages. Uh, never questioned my faith, but I never intended to go into ministry. Uh, I wanted to actually follow in my dad's 
footsteps. My senior year of high school, I was voted most likely to be head of the FBI, <laughs> uh, which would probably be about this point in my life right now. So I'm really glad that I'm you know, a million miles from Washington, D.C. Uh, but a lot of different circumstances. Went to Covenant College, volunteered in a, in a local church there in their student ministry, just helping out. And uh, God uh, opened a door for uh, me to work at that church after high school, or excuse me, after college, which I wasn't intending to do. I was intending to go into law enforcement, uh, but uh, he he opened that door, and I ended up saying, "Well, I'll go work there for a year, and and then I'll go into law enforcement." And so I uh, went for a year, and nine years later, uh, I was about halfway through my seminary education through the extension program, and had a pretty clear calling that God was, you know, going to that was going to be my career was going to be full-time local church ministry on some level. So that was a little bit about your calling in general, but what about your calling specifically to plant a church green tree? Um, So talk about that. And then like, what are some memories you've got of uh, the early days of getting it off the ground? Absolutely. So I, uh, when we came back to St. Louis in 1990, I went to work for Central Presbyterian Church, which is a large midtown church here in St. Louis, EPC. Uh, church. So, um, you know, uh, very uh, strong biblically and in the Reformed tradition. And I I went there as a student uh, ministry director. And over the course of about eight years, I went from that to uh, an assistant pastor to an associate pastor. And our lead pastor actually took his own life tragically in the summer of 95. And uh, sometime thereafter, I became the interim pastor at Central, which was a a church of about 2,000 folks. And so here I am, 36 years old. You know, I don't, I don't know my head from a hole in the ground. Uh, I have, you know, very little pastoral experience at all, and and I'm overwhelmed. But that's where I cut my teeth in ministry. That's where I learned uh, I could really trust in God. That's where I learned to uh, experience his protection as well as his correction. Uh, my wife and I went through the Sonship course uh, during those years, and that was transformative for us. And so my experience at Central, sorry, I read, I'm probably kind of going the long way around the barn, but my experience at Central um, solidified that I wanted to be a, a pastor in a local congregation. But the other thing it did was it, it gave me a very clear vision for what type of pastoral ministry I wanted to be involved in. Because as I said, Central Midtown Church, people came from the far west uh, you know, we'd say from St. Charles to Edwardsville. And if you live in St. Louis, you know what that means. That's a really wide perimeter. And there, was, there wasn't really a community feel to it. They, we came to church, we, you know, we were together on Sunday, and then we went to the four corners of St. Louis and, and didn't really see each other throughout the week. And there's a, there's a place for that. A Central has done amazing things over the years, but that wasn't my cup of tea. I wanted to be in a community church and I wanted to be a church planter uh, because I had gone to Covenant Seminary and I sat under a gentleman named Phil Douglas. And I don't think Phil Douglas has ever met somebody that he didn't say you could be a church planter, but for some reason I bought into that. So the vision of just of the idea of church planting was, you know, in my, in the forefront of my thinking, I, I really, want to be part of that on some level. Green Tree specifically, <clears throat> we're, in a, we're in a small uh, bedroom community uh, named Kirkwood. It's a suburb of St. Louis. 
But when you talk to people from St. Louis, they typically won't tell you they're from St. Louis. They'll tell you the town that they're from. So they'll say, I'm from Kirkwood, I'm from Ferguson, I'm from Webster Groves, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm from Florissant. They'll, they'll mention their smaller uh, town. And, and somebody has said St. Louis is really a whole bunch of small, medium-sized towns put together. So I grew up in Kirkwood uh, here in St. Louis. And when I was uh, finishing up my interim time at Central, there was a small group of folks that lived in Kirkwood. And many of them went to Central, which is about five miles down the road. Others went to other churches, but they all had one thing in common. Everybody left Kirkwood on Sunday morning. And it wasn't that there wasn't a Christian church in Kirkwood. There, there, there are two or three churches that preached the gospel very faithfully, but they were more of a Baptist uh, tradition a Methodist tradition, and so there was not a Reformed presence in the Kirkwood community, and they began to say, you know, if we're going to take the gospel seriously and want to share the gospel with our friends, and then we want to, we know we want to get them into a church fellowship, we're, now we're going to say, hey, go eight miles away with us to church. That just didn't feel right to them, so they were talking and praying. They kind of formed a, 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 a what we would call today a launch team, uh, and, and they just began praying that God would allow them to start a church in Kirkwood. And they were just getting started as the time that I was finishing up at Central. So, you know, it's kind of like the railroad tracks where they're running parallel. But when you look out, you know, they come together at the horizon and God just put it together at the, at the perfect time. And so as I left Central, uh, we moved right into that launch team and that, that group of folks at Green Tree. And we were off and running. Um, now, early fond memories. I don't know if, you know, backbreaking work every Sunday, <laughs> working out of a trailer for 15 years. Uh, well, you know, the, the fond memories are this, um, you know, there's a small group of committed people that coalesced around an idea that was bigger than any one of us. And by God's grace, it, it worked. Uh, none of us had ever planted a church before. Uh, I got a provisional approval at the, at the, at the church planting assessment center. Although my wife was fully endorsed. They were like, oh, she's delightful. She's wonderful. I'm like, yeah, yes, she is. So let's just leave it at that. And she really is worth, you know, she's put up with me for almost 39 years. Uh, but that camaraderie, that kind of being in it together, that, you know, we don't know if this is going to work or not. And we really don't know if this is going to work or not. I mean, we're not talking, you know, we got a fallback plan here. Uh, we didn't. And so, um, you know, you put your heart into it. Uh, one anecdotal story I will tell you, to, to, and then we'll, we'll move on. When I was talking to the launch team and we were trying to figure out if there was a partnership and we could, we could work together and I would be a good planting pastor for them. One of the guys asked me, you know, let's just say that you stayed at Green Tree for the rest of your career and you're now retiring, which unfortunately is a whole lot closer now than it was when he asked me the question. He said, well, what's one thing you would hope would be true? And I didn't even blink. I said, you know, I would want my kids to say they were glad their dad was a pastor mm. because I know so many friends right. whose dads were pastors right. and they would not say that. Yeah. And all three of my kids are very grateful for the family they grew up in and the church family they yeah. grew up in because it was, I mean, they, it was like their aunts and uncles and my brother and sister, you know, my brother's in Denver, my sister's in Detroit that, you know, they didn't have extended family around them. And Green Tree really was their family. And they saw, uh, they saw a group of people love us well, 
mm-hmm. and they saw us attempting to love them well. Right. And I just, Mike, two of my three kids have said, dad, we've had a hard time finding a church when, when, since we've moved because we're looking for green tree. Right. So, you know what, if a lightning bolt hits me right now, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. You know, I, I yeah. that's just an amazing blessing. So I'm going <clears> to <throat> ask a question that um, is important to me. Um, Green Tree has been a part of helping to start other churches. And yes. I'm a big believer in church planting. I'm, I'm probably a bigger believer in church multiplication. Yep. Uh, what inspired that ethos at Green Tree? And, and, and how has this benefited your church planting other churches? Uh, those are two really good questions. Uh, it was embedded because most of the people that started Green Tree came from what we would kind of call a mega church setting. And again, I'm not against, I mean, there's some amazing churches out there, so don't hear me saying something I'm not, but there's, there's something impersonal about, you know, a church where two, three, four, 5,000 people converge and everybody just had a strong desire for community. And so what we said was from the very beginning, our mission statement to know Jesus Christ and to serve him in joyful obedience by renewing communities, growing disciples, and planting churches. It's, it's been in our mission statement from day one. And we said, we, we don't want to grow by becoming this, another large midtown church. We want, when we grow, we want to send people out. And we want, we want, you know, if people come to us from neighboring communities, which is part of what happened, uh, we want to be able to help them create what we're trying to create by God's grace here in Kirkwood. And so that was the ethos from, from day one. Uh, we, we said, I remember my first anniversary as the pastor of Green Tree, we got together for a congregational meeting, you know, you know, all 75 of us. And we said, you know, we get to 200, if we haven't started figuring out where our first church plant is, shame on us. And the leadership really meant what they said. And I, and I think that was absolutely vital. How it's blessed us is, is really, it's really hard to measure. I'll, I'll tell you one story and then just tack something onto that. Our first church plant actually wasn't in St. Louis. It was in Columbia, Missouri, where the University of Missouri is. There's a church there today called The Crossing, and Green Tree was the planting church uh, of The Crossing. And I met the pastor, their co-pastor there, but I met Dave Cover at Covenant Seminary. I was teaching a church polity class, which is an absolute joke, okay? <laughs> I, I, I was like one chapter <laughs> ahead of the class. But Cover was in my class, and he was the, uh, now it's called crew, he was the crusade campus minister at Mizzou for 20 years. So I'm like, Cover, what are you doing when you get done with seminary? You know, now that you're 40 and you're growing up, he goes, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go pastor a church somewhere. There's an E-free church, E-free church in Columbia that is talking to me. And I'm like, yeah, but you're reformed. You don't want to pastor an E-free church. Nothing against our brethren in the E-free. It's just, you know, that's, that's not quite a, a good match. And I said, why don't you plant the church? I said, well, we don't have any money. And I, I'm like, well, how hard can that be? <laughs> it was, it's good to be, you know, young and foolish. So I went to our elders and we had $120,000 in the bank. Mm. And I, and I said, the fellas, I think Cover, and they, they all knew Dave because St. Louis, you know, kind of all the Christians know each other. And, and <laughs> I think, I, and I think almost everybody was supporting him. He's an amazing fundraiser. Right. Um, 
I said, guys, the knock on Columbia is you send your kids down there to school and they can never find a good church to go to. What if we planted a church with Cover? I mean, he has, he's got deep roots in the community. He's on the campus. I mean, this couldn't be a bit, this is like falling off a log. If we don't get this one, you mm-hmm. know, there's something right. wrong with us. And they said, what's it going to take? And I said, I, and it, it wasn't just me, it was several of us. It's going to take 100,000 of our 120. Mm-hmm. And with, that was one of the longest session meetings I've ever been in my life. Wow. Yeah. That way, and there were only six of us. We knocked that one around for an hour. And at the end of the night, we gave him $100,000. Yeah, that's great. And we had 20,000 bucks left. Now, how that blesses a church spiritually can't be measured. Because you tell the congregation, again, the congregation was at that point was probably 200 people. You tell the congregation and they're like, have you lost your minds? But then it starts to sink in and they're like, this is where I want to invest. I want to be part of this. I want to be part of a vision that's bigger than green tree and bigger. So that's the story. What the other answer I would give you is we have never planted a church. We're in our sixth, sixth church plant uh, out of green tree. We have never planted a church where we have, when it was all said and done, had less money and fewer people. We've always had more money and more people at green tree. And so when I talk to one of my jobs in my denomination is to convince a denomination that hasn't historically been active in church planting that we're really missing the boat to convince pastors that you'll actually be healthier if you, if you give it away. And if you, and if you give some of your people away, if there's the opportunity for that, God does not have to borrow from one part of his kingdom to support another part of his kingdom. And green tree has never once lacked the resources we needed to plant and we've never come away weaker after a church plan. All right. So you mentioned what's going on at Green Tree. You're also the head of the church planning committee for the entire denomination. So what can you tell us about what's going on in the EPC now in terms of church planting and multiplication? Uh, we're, we are. So if you have to learn to walk before you run, I think we finally have sat up in the crib. <laughs> so that's kind of where we are in, in process. Um, though quick history about 10 years ago, Jeff Jeremiah, who is our state clerk, uh, came new cause I was on a team that was kind of getting together talking about presbyteries planting churches. And he said, Hey, I really think we need to get on the, on the ball here. Would you be interested in kind of leading, uh, a, a, a mission to create a church planting culture in the EPC and we're, you know, we're all good Presbyterians here and we don't do anything if we don't do it by committee. Right. And so I said to Jeff, you know, I, I need to pray about it and think about it. I need to talk to my elders and see if they'll give me some time away to do that. And, uh, and they did by the way. Uh, but I said, I, you got to let me do this my way. I, I can't report to a subcommittee that reports to a committee that, you know, we, you've got to, I said, I'll report to you. Uh, but you got to let me uh, do this my way. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go get my buddies that are amazing church planters and know a lot more than me. And I'm going to put a team together. That that's how we're going to do it. So we started that back in 2010, 2011, right around in there. And basically I recruited um, six friends from around the United States. Uh, Jim Holland out of, out of Memphis there, who uh, Hunter knows, Sean Robinson uh, out on the West Coast. He and I had actually gone to the assessment center together 
He had planted Clayton Community Church just outside of uh, San Francisco and Oakland. Uh, Tom Melton, who was a uh, pastor in Denver, Colorado, who had planted boy, a couple dozen churches. Uh, and Mike Moses, who uh, actually was an intern under Craig Strickland at, at Hope Prez in Memphis, uh, who's now uh, in Charlotte, uh, planted a church out of, uh, out of uh, a big EPC church in Charlotte. So I got those guys together and Mike actually said, I want to bring one of my ruling elders with me, a guy named Jack Cathy. Jack's the chair of the business uh, graduate program for North Carolina State. And so we brought this ruling elder in, which to this day, Jack is still on our team and his business sense has made a world of difference in that. So uh, read back to your question. We got together the first year and we just, we met and we prayed and we talked and we kind of began to dream and said, what should it look like? Uh, you only get your first chance one time. So let's try not to, you know, screw it up from the very beginning. So our first year, we didn't do anything but talk and pray. We, you know, and we're getting a general assembly and Jeff said, you know, do you want to make a report on the floor of assembly? I'm like, nope, I got, I got nothing for you yet. We're, we're, we're still formulating our, our plans. What came out of that through about a year and a half of planning was a couple things. One is we didn't want to be a top-down church planting denomination. We didn't want anybody to have to, you know, kind of run to mama and papa to get permission. Uh, we wanted our church planting to be local and regionally driven. So we wanted to be uh, driven by local churches, uh, you know, giving birth to, to daughter churches or presbyteries or networks within those presbyteries. But we didn't want to be the funding arm. We didn't want, we didn't want all the money to rest at the top. And we didn't want the, the decision making to rest at the top. So we decided we wanted to be a service platform. We wanted to give people the tools and the understanding, the education, the vision, whatever it may be that they need. We wanted to give them the support they needed to be healthy church planting churches, presbyteries, or networks. And so out of that came a vision statement that said, EPC, every church a parent, a partner, or a patron of church planting. So my church, Green Tree Community Church, is a good example of a parent church. We, you know, we haven't coalesced a group of folks to form a network to plant churches. We've just raised the money ourselves, and we've gone out and recruited uh, church planters, and we've put them in a local spot, and we've funded them, and we've coached them, and we've raised them up, and we've sent them on their way, and we've gone, and we've done the next one. That's a parent. A partner would be a network or a presbytery where a group of churches get together and help out. And then a patron uh, is either an individual or a church that says, we may not be ready to be active, but we want to financially support. Uh, and we had our last year, we had our first really uh, wonderful patron gift. We've had several large churches uh, give us, uh, you know, a, a five-figure gift, but we got a six-figure gift a quarter of a million dollars last year. And that was pretty, that's where we're like, okay, people are listening. People, this was an individual, the, you know, people are paying attention to what we're doing. So we uh, started beating that drum. How can we help you be a church planting church? How can we help you be a church planting presbytery? And uh, slowly but surely, folks began to get on board. We discovered that there were pockets of church planting in the EPC. Memphis was kind of a hotbed for church planting. Uh, there were a couple other places that were 
uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, we had some good church planting going on there. The West Coast, uh, you mentioned uh, our good friend, Bart. Uh, Bart was very involved in church planting on the West Coast. And so we just began to lend support, lend vision, be the champion for it. So we, we do make a report every year in General Assembly. And typically we'll, you know, half of that report will be a six minute video on highlighting, you know, two church plants. And so uh, we, when we started, we had five active church plants in the entire denomination. And one of the first things I did was close one of them. <laughs> Great start, yes. So we dropped the four. And we're, we have about 50 active church plants this year. So that's why I say, you know, we've sat up in the crib. We're, we, we're kind of looking around us and figuring out, and the Lord is, is giving us some good progress. We've had some failures along the way, but uh, we're working hard on the front end to coach our folks to help them start well. You know, you do the hard work on the front end. It tends to, tends to give you a better chance for success on the back end from a human perspective. And that team has is, is, is changed a little bit. Some folks have come on, some folks – uh, have rolled off, but the team is still in place. The philosophy of ministry is still in place. And the only thing that we've, we've changed, and I know I'm rambling here, but I'll say this and then I'll, I'll shut up. The, the one thing that has changed in the last, I would say, six years is that we have, like a lot of folks, we have noticed not only some of the um, ugliness of our history and our lack of engagement with everyone in our culture, but like everybody else, we've also noticed the shifting trends in the United States of America, and uh, the U.S. is changing, and our church planting strategy needs to look like our culture. Uh, if it doesn't, we won't be planting churches a whole lot longer, and so we have begun to emphasize uh, multi-ethnic churches, uh, mono-ethnic churches, and underserved communities that we in the past, maybe we're not involved in our next church plant uh, that we're currently working on is in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, a lot of folks probably are familiar with that name, right. not for not for a good reason. Right. Uh, but we're working with a, a partner, a guy named Sean Boone, who I've gotten in over the last three years and just have absolutely uh, fallen in love with the guy. He, he's uh, a wonderful uh, young church planter. And, you know, he has the energy I used to have. Uh, but that's being that's being done with a, gr a network of churches in St. Louis because that's going to be a it's going to be a little different plan. It's going to take a little bit longer. The economics there are, you know, would would demonstrate that they're going to need a little bit more help to get going. So we've we've created a network for that. Um, right. And so we, we're we're trying to reflect our culture and our and our passion for church planting. Mm. Tom, we're coming to the end um, as you have experienced church planting locally and as you engage with church planting um, nationally, um, as you look down the road a bit, what do you think are some of the biggest obstacles to planting churches in the reformed tradition today? I think there are a couple. Um, clearly the tone in our country right now, at least in social media, you know, the, the loud voices, is very, it's moving very quickly away. Uh, it's, not, it's not just moving away from the Christian faith, it's becoming very anti-Christian. Uh, and so I think people, uh, might, potential church planters may be uh, a little bit intimidated by that uh, and, and may be a little nervous to, you know, to kind of stand up and say, hey, we, 
we stand for the Lord Jesus and his gospel and, and its transforming power. And we want to plant a church in this community. I think there's just kind of a tone out there that makes it a little bit harder than I think even maybe 10 or 15 years ago, Hunter. Uh, so I think that's an obstacle. I, I think a second obstacle is when you get into um, situations where we find ourselves today emotionally and spiritually, my experience is that churches tend to begin to have a castle mentality instead of a kingdom mentality. Uh, and by that, I mean, it's like, hey, we got to hunker down. We got to make sure our moat is filled with water and alligators and that nobody can get in here and get us. Uh, we want to love Jesus, but, but everybody out there is, has become the enemy. And, and instead of moving into the world with the kingdom of God and taking great risks, we tend to think in terms of self-protection. And the Bible doesn't teach self-protection. Uh, the Bible teaches God's protection, and that allows us to step out in faith. And so I think uh, part of the obstacle is to, to encourage folks to, to continue to dream big and to continue to be willing to take a risk, because we know in God's economy, it's not a risk. Even if I lose my life, it's not a, it's not a risk, because God has secured my eternal well-being in Christ. And so if I go out there and fail as a church planter, if I'm standing on the street corner and somebody says, I hate Christians, it hits me in the head with a baseball bat, right? And I wake up and I say, I think that's Moses standing over there. And I think that's Paul over there. I'm okay. And so I think we've got to help our people. I think we're our biggest obstacle, quite frankly. I think the, the, the Christian community struggling with, and I include myself in that community, struggling with I, I really, you know, we're, we, we've stepped out of the boat. Lord, can we come to you? Come on. But then we, now we're looking at the wind and the waves and we got to get refocused on Jesus. We've got to, and, and I mean, really focused on Jesus, which means we got to, we got to change our tone sometimes too. Right. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm as big a pro-life, you know, supporter as there is out there, but people's problem is not what they think about pro-life or pro-choice it's whether or not they know jesus christ right we can get to the other stuff hmm. but the church over the last 30 or 40 years has been absent the need and the hurt in our communities and is focused on moral you know lines in the sand and again i <laughs> the bible teaches us a gospel-centered morality don't hear me saying something i'm not but that's that's not people's problem. People's problem is they don't know Jesus. Right, right. And so that's why we, if we can get kind of out of our own way mm -hmm. and re really focus on the Lord and dare to dream and dare to risk, I think, you know, right. th this is the greatest time right. to be a church yeah. planter. Make Absolutely. him known, make him known and make his greatness known. No question about it. Because right. on the flip side of that, angst is a fear and a spiritual hunger that they just don't know how to fill. I mean, it's, it's Romans one. <laughs> so we have that answer. We, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, sorry, you got me preaching now, Hunter. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta dial it back a little bit. <laughs> well, this has been uh, really encouraging to hear you talk this morning, Tom. Thanks a lot for joining us. We really appreciate it. I, I've enjoyed it. Can I ask one question before I go? Absolutely. How do I get your job? Because you guys did, you said like, each said like 12 words in the last 45 minutes. That, that's very impressive. Well, nobody wants, to, <laughs> nobody wants to hear from us. They want to hear from the, the people we bring on our, on our podcast. 
Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to be with you. And Hunter, since you're a, a Bama fan, I can say roll tide. And yeah, that's we, right. We, we, can, we can leave it there. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye. That's the last word for now. Thanks to Auxilio for sponsoring this episode, and thanks to you for listening. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at 5 Points Planting or by email at 5 Points Church Planting at gmail.com. See y'all next time. Five Points Church Planting is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.